1952, this incredible young woman named Florence Chadwick stepped into the waters of the Pacific Ocean off of the Catalina Islands, and she was determined to swim her way back to mainland California. Now, she had already become the first woman to swim the English Channel both ways, but this adventure would test her very limits. The day that she stepped into the water, it was cold and it was foggy. In fact, she could barely see the boats that were accompanying her. And she swam, history tells us, for a little over 15 hours nonstop. Stroke after stroke after stroke, 15 hours. Several times, she actually begged to be taken out of the water. But her mother, who was in a boat right alongside her, kept telling her, you can make it. You can make it, Florence. Keep going. You can make it. But finally, physically, emotionally exhausted, she, she wouldn't listen anymore. And she, she stopped swimming and, and was pulled out. And it wasn't until she was in the boat, that she realized that the shore that she was aiming for was less than a half a mile away. And at a news conference the next day, this is, this is what she said, quote, all I could see was the fog. And this is a picture of the California coastline and how the fog will set in. She said, all I could see was the fog. Listen now, she said, I think, however, if I could have just seen the shore, I would have been able to make it, end quote. Physically, emotionally exhausted, refused to listen to the cries, you can make it. She stopped swimming and was pulled out. She said, all I could see was the fog. <clears throat> and I think... If I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. Here's what's true about every person in this room, no matter how young or how less than young you are. <laughs> there's going to be a moment in life where the fog of this life is going to settle in thick around you. And you're not sure you can make it anymore. And you're going to be spiritually, physically, emotionally just exhausted. And there's going to be people that are saying, don't give up, don't give up. But you're going to want to quit. You're going to want to quit on a relationship. You're going to want to quit on that moment. You're going to want to quit on your faith. You're going to just, I'm done. What you're going to learn from Isaiah today is he said, hey, the shore is closer than you think. The shore is closer than you think, and you can make it keep going. In my 45 years of life and 24 years of marriage, there have been moments where my wife, Kim, and I, the best we could do was hold each other in tears. There are times it's been so hard to move, I didn't even feel like I could breathe. And then I look at my wife, I'm like, I don't even have the power to comfort her in this moment. And the best I could do is say, baby... This world's not our home. And what I know is that, is, is that home is closer than we think. The shore is closer than we realize. And that there's a day coming when, 
when our faith will be our eyes and we will be home. And that's what Isaiah is writing about today, this idea of home. And home is amazing. Show of hands, how many of y'all either have traveled for work or been on vacation or slept somewhere other than home? Show of hands. Okay, good, most of us. See, when you travel, you, you sleep in a bed, you, you eat food, you take a shower, you rest, but it's not the same as when you're home. That's why most of us come home and like, I need a vacation from my vacation because there's nothing like being home. And for some of you, that shore, that, that finish line is closer than we can imagine and you, you can make it. And Isaiah He's going to describe for us today just exactly what home is going to be like. And in week two of our Advent series, we're going to keep walking through the book of Isaiah. So grab your Bible, open up to the book of Isaiah. I'm going to be in chapter 35. And when you find that spot in your Bible, I want you to grab your Bible and stand up with me in honor of reading God's word. Isaiah is going to tell us about what it is like for the ransom, the people of God, the people who Jesus purchased with his blood to finally be home. Here's what Isaiah says, chapter 35, verse 1. The wilderness and the dry land will be glad, and the desert will rejoice and blossom like a wildflower. It will blossom abundantly and will also rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, and the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God, strengthen the weak hands and steady the shaking knees, Isaiah says. Say to the cowardly, be strong and do not fear. Here is your God. Vengeance is coming. God's retribution is coming, but he will save you. The eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. For water will gush in the wilderness and streams in the deserts. The parched ground will become a pool and the thirsty land springs. In the haunt of jackals in their lairs there will be grass and reeds and papyrus. A road will be there and a way and it will be called the holy way. And the unclean will not travel on it. But... It will be for the one who walks the path, and fools do not wander on it. There will be no lion there, and no vicious beast will go upon it. They will not be found there, but the redeemed church, that's us, will walk on it. And the redeemed of the Lord will return and come to Zion with singing, crowned with unending joy. Joy and gladness will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee. There's a day coming when our faith will be our eyes. The shore is closer than you think. Don't get lost in the fog. Isaiah says, be strong. Do not fear. Here is your God. And Lord, today, you're our God. You came. You're coming back. And God, I pray that we would be a people of great faith and hope while we wait. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? I hope you've had time to be reading through the book of Isaiah. I love this Old Testament prophet. And we're using Isaiah for our Advent series because Advent means coming or arrival. And Advent, the first one, was the celebration of the birth, the arrival of Jesus Christ, the long-awaited Savior of the world, the one that Isaiah and his people was desperate for. 
And Isaiah has so much to say about Jesus that many people consider him a fifth gospel. He is the centerpiece of all Old Testament prophetic literature. And he wrote 700 years before Jesus entered into this world the first time, the first advent, when Jesus came as a baby. But Jesus didn't just come as a baby. He's returning a second time as the king of kings, ready to fulfill all of his promises and one day take us to be home with him, home with God. You know, that's how it all started back in Genesis. Mankind at home with God. The first parents, our parents, experienced paradise on earth with God but paradise was lost. But what Isaiah is saying is paradise will indeed be regained. And I love the way he describes this. Look back at verse 1. He says, The wilderness and the dry land will be glad, and the desert will rejoice and blossom like a wildflower. Now this this imagery is, is interesting. I don't know if you know this. I spent 40 years in Texas and then five years here, and we would spend a lot of time in South Texas. And here's a picture on a piece of property we would go to. A lot. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. That's South Texas. What you don't know about South Texas is it's a sportsman's paradise. I'm an avid outdoorsman, and South Texas is a sportsman's paradise. The only problem is in South Texas, everything either scratch, sticks, bites, or stings, but but if you get just a quarter to a half inch of rain, this, this same South Texas property will look like this. It's pretty spectacular. It's a quarter or, or a half inch of rain changes everything, and One theologian talking about Isaiah, verse 1 says, listen, there's nothing in the desert that that a little rain can't fix. And so when you think about your heart or your soul, you're emotionally weary, you feel physically or spiritually drained, you, you feel dry. What Isaiah is saying is, hey, there's, There's nothing happening in a desert that a little rain can't fix. (laughs) And he's not talking about moisture that falls from the sky. He's talking about God who entered into this world for weary and dry souls. God in the flesh who saves and redeems. God who's coming back to call us home. He says one day we're going to blossom and this world will be restored and we'll be home. And then look at verse 2, what he continues to say. It will blossom abundantly. And we'll also rejoice with joy in singing. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. I don't have time to fully unpack all of this, but do your homework here. This is a vision of grandeur. I want to point you to what he says next. And they will, what's the word right here? See, they will what? What is it they're going to see? The glory of the Lord and the splendor of God. That's what we get to see. I can't believe you're not going nuts right now. We get to see the glory of the Lord and the splendor of God. That is incredible. I I love the way John in Revelation describes a similar encounter. Look, Look at what John says. He says, Then I heard with a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is, what's the word? With humanity, and he will live with them, and they will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them, 
and will be their God. There's something very significant in this verse being declared. How many times do you see the word with being repeated? How many times? It's really easy. Three. God doesn't waste words. What he's doing is very important. He's declaring on purpose, on repeat, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with my people. That is cooler than the streets of gold. Did you not know that? God with his people. And in case you're wondering what, what Isaiah is saying to us about this future home, what John declares should dispel any myth from any person that in any way heaven at any point is going to be boring. Let's just be on a show of hands. How many of you are like, I don't know, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And if you're saying heaven is home, then that means forever and ever. I'm stuck at home forever. <laughs> like that's fun for a little bit, right? You know, float around, strum a harp, sing some songs. But eventually my ADD is going to kick in and I'm like, what in the world am I going to do forever? You are going to be with God, which means there will never be one ounce of separation in your life from your creator. Not even a hint of depression or anxiety, fear or shame, guilt or remorse or sadness, gone. Not even a whisper of distance, because God will be with you at home forever. Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us, because he dwelt on earth with his people. He was crucified, buried, and rose again so that we could be redeemed. He left. He's seated at the right hand of God, but he's coming back to get us and take us home, and there will be unhindered, unbroken communion with our creator forever. And I love this world. Let's face it. We know that we're loved and we know that we belong to him. But sometimes the hardship of this world can persuade us that God is far off and not near at all. That's not true. He is near. But there will be a moment where there won't be a shadow of a doubt. You'll be home, face to face in his presence. And this is what Isaiah is talking about, what John describes in Psalm 1611, says it this way. He says, you reveal the path of life to me, and in your presence is abundant joy, and at your right hand are eternal pleasures. So there are at least two things waiting for us when we finally get home. One, abundant joy. Take just a moment, just a second, and think about a real moment of joy in your life, like a belly laugh moment or true joy. Maybe it was when you got engaged or the birth of a child or your first job or a first day, like what was a moment, a first day? You know, you feel joy in that moment, and it, it stays as a shadow of a memory, but those feelings begin to fade, don't they? They don't stay there. They, they fade. But God is promising you that in his presence, there's this never-ending, exploding joy for eternity. And not only that, but, but eternal pleasures. That's the Hebrew word not aim. It means delight. Think about something that's delightful like Jenny's ice cream. Come on. 
Coming from Texas, I never thought there would be anything better than Bluebell until I went to Jenny's. And now I don't even buy ice cream. I just get like 24 samples and then just leave. You know, I'm banned at most of the Jenny's around here. Just think about something like Christmas morning. Those moments, as incredible as they are, they fade. And with them, the experience and the emotion. We have no concept, even in our wildest imagination, of what abundant joy and eternal pleasure means. I'm telling you, it's with God. And and in addition to that, I love what Jonathan Edwards describes about eternity and the pleasures. He says, every Christian, every Christian friend who goes before us in this world is a ransom spirit waiting to welcome us into heaven. There will be the infant who lived a few days that we will have last below. Through grace, we will be united again, end quote. So I, I, think, about, I think about my dad who went home way too early in 2017. My father-in-law who went home too early in 2015. You you ever lost a loved one? Buried a child? Had a miscarriage? Someone that you treasured in this world that you felt like should have lasted longer in this world? Part of, part of the reality of heaven is a reuniting with the relationships that were meaningful in this world together at home, completely free from the entanglements of sin forever. It's part of the joy of heaven, like a perfect relationship with the people that we loved here in eternity forever. It's a glorious thought. And Edward also comments, he says, Quote, we will also have companionship with the patriarchs and the saints of the Old and New Testament, those of whom the world was not worthy. End quote. How cool is that? Like we're going to get to worship and hang out and rule and reign with the people we read about. Like we're going to get to sit down with Isaiah and talk about Isaiah 35 with him. It's not a fairy tale. That's a reality in our future when we get home. I want to sit down with Peter and like, bro, we were so stubborn together. Paul, golly, I loved reading your letters. Noah, how'd you do that? Job, so inspiring. Zacchaeus, wow. Y'all remember Zacchaeus, the wee little man, the wee little man was he. He climbed up in the... But I bet you at home in heaven, he's probably six foot tall, and we'll high-five right up here. He's got his new body. Mary, what, God, what was it like to feel God kick inside of you? Go grab coffee with the lady who wiped Jesus' feet with her tears and hair. Grab lunch with the Roman centurion. One of the gifts in eternity is like a, a perfect fellowship with all of the peoples of God, from all the nations of God, together sharing the stories of God for eternity. It's pretty cool. And what Isaiah is declaring is this, is this hopeful declaration in the midst of uncertainty. And I don't think he's whispering. I can imagine when Penn 
hits paper, like he's wanting to shout it and declare it from every mountaintop. There's hope. There's a home. There's a king. That's why he says in verse 4, he says, say to the cowardly, be strong and what? Do not fear. Here is your God. Vengeance is coming, not for you. God's retribution is coming, not for you. What will God do for you and me? He will save you. And for those of us who have put our faith in the Messiah that he prophesied about, he has saved us and he will save us and he will take us home. And Isaiah's writing this because when you travel through this world, there are going to be times where the fog is so thick you want to stop swimming or you're going through the desert and it seems so dry that there is no relief in sight. And Isaiah said, hey man, the shore is closer than you think. Home is closer than you think. Your king is near. And Isaiah calls the people of God, people of the future, to be a light in the present. We are people of the future living now. So be strong. Here is your God. Be strong and courageous. And that's why in verses 5 through 9, he goes on with this beautiful language to say things about the future home, like your eyes of the blind will be opened, the lame are going to leap like a deer, the tongue of the mute are going to sing, water will gush in the wilderness, streams in the desert, the parched land will become a pool. There's going to be this holy road that his people get to travel on. There's going to be no lion there, but only the redeemed will get to walk and live. And then in verse 10, he says this, and the ransomed, listen, church, that's me, that's you, that's people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who by his blood purchased us, redeemed. The redeemed of the Lord will return, meaning this world is not your home. You're headed home. You will return to that which you were created for, to be in the presence of God. We'll return and come to Zion with singing, crowned with unending joy. Joy and gladness will overtake them. And I love this part. And sorrow and sighing will flee. So while you go home, all of the sorrow and sighing of this world flees. You're going home and sorrow and sighing is fleeing. I love that. John in Revelation describes a similar experience a different way. He says this. And Jesus will wipe away every tear from their eyes, from our eyes. I think I've told the church this before, but, but I've never fully understood what John meant in this verse. Like, no tears, no crying in heaven. And I don't, I don't fully understand that. Because <laughs> I can't for the life of me imagine meeting Jesus face to face for the first time and not just crying and not weeping. I can't imagine. I can't imagine seeing my Savior for the first time, the one who has loved me when I was unlovable, the one that I've cried out to in my darkest hours, the one that I've spent countless hours with in the quietness of the morning, the one who has seated me in the heavenlies, the one who's changed me, and changed my family, and I can't imagine meeting him for the first time and not just going, Jesus, you, you did it. You, you got me here. You finished the work. You fulfilled your promises and I'm home and I can't imagine not just weeping. But see, I think we will because he says he's going to wipe away your tears, which means there's going to be some tears present. 
But then he's going to grab your face and every tear that was welling up inside of you will be gone. He wipes them and you're never going to cry again. And so whatever fog you're swimming through right now, the shore is closer than you think. And there's a day coming, church, when the person that we have put our faith in will be our sight, and he's going to say, welcome home. And yeah, we live by faith here, but there's a day coming when your faith is your eyes. I think that's why Paul says this. He says, in the end, there will be faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what? Love. You've heard that? Do you know why I believe Paul says the greatest of these is love? It's because, listen, listen, church, listen, Christian. When you step into heaven, eternity, home, when you're home with God, you don't need hope anymore to endure. Hope's sitting right there. And you, you don't need faith anymore to keep moving. Faith is now your eyes, your home, and love is the only thing that will abound for eternity forever. And that may seem like a distant reality, but the shore is closer than you think. Don't give up. And he's not distant now. He is very much with us now. The Prince of Peace gives us the spirit of peace to live inside of us, to make it, to walk, to endure, to cling. And that's why the author of Hebrews says, I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith, so that no matter what, I don't give up. And Florence Chadwick had her mom in the boat beside her whispering, keep going. We've got the Spirit of God inside of us. Keep, keep going. Keep going. Do not give up. Do not give in. Keep going. And there, there's, a, there's a day coming when faith and hope will be not needed because there's nothing but love. But listen, church, right now is the time for faith. And right now is the time of hope. And right now is the time for you and me, the people of God, the people of the future, to be the people in the present that the world needs to see. People, regardless of circumstance, full of joy and full of hope because we have a king who's come and is coming back. Amen? Amen. Church, let's stand together. Come on. We're going to sing a song, but you, you, you need right now to take a moment. Bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to give you time where you don't need to listen to any other voice but the voice of your creator. And so my voice in just a second is going to stop, and I pray you would listen to the whispers of heaven. Lawrence Chadwick said, all I could see was the fog. And I think if I could have just seen the shore, I could have made it. What are you close to giving up on? 
You may not be ready to abandon your faith, but is there a relationship you're calling it quits on? Is there a, a marriage that is spiritually, physically, emotionally exhausted, and you're like, hey, just pull me in the boat, let's just give up? A relationship with a child, or a financial element, I don't know. Like we said last week, man, Jesus understands your struggle and Jesus can change things. So I'm going to give you some space now. You and the Lord, ask Him for the faith you need and the hope you need to keep going.